Are you ready to go to the Word of God this morning? All right, that's what I like to hear. Praise the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time together. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, O Lord. You are good to us, O Lord. You are so good to us. We thank you for your Word, your revelation to us, O God. So as we open it up and we read it and we we, uh, proclaim it today, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts and minds that comprehend and understand what the Spirit is saying to each one of us and to our church today. I pray that you would help us to not be forgetful hearers, but doers of your word, O Lord, so that it would reap a harvest of righteousness in our lives, in this church, in this community, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold for your glory, the advancement of your kingdom, and the decimation of your enemy's kingdom. For these things we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right. Well, turn to your Bibles in the book of Genesis. I have two master texts this morning. Genesis chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5. So go ahead and be turning there while I give you a few preliminary thoughts. You know, two weeks ago, as I ended my series on healing, I did so by talking a little bit about the power of words. And... um, I so appreciated Eric Burton's teaching last week because he touched on that as well. I didn't expect him to, but he touched on that as well. And man, he really did a deep dive into the the Hebrew, didn't he? I thought that was so fascinating. And he taught me some things that I didn't know before. And I thought I knew this topic pretty well. But he taught me some things, and that was very exciting to me. So if you were not here last week and you didn't hear Eric's teaching, go to the website, pull that up. I think that you'll learn a few things. That'll be a tremendous blessing to you. It was an absolutely fascinating study of the divine nature of God's Word and what it says on this subject of our topic today, the language of faith and the power of the spoken Word. So in that teaching that I referred to a moment ago that I did two weeks ago, I uh, said that I had a more protracted teaching on this topic than I was able to give then, Uh, but I said at that time that I would reteach that at some point, and since Eric taught that topic from a different angle last week, which I didn't expect him to do, um, I thought I would go ahead and add to that by uh, giving you the full teaching that I have prepared that uh, I've done here at this church a few times now. I thought I would go ahead and give you that today uh, that I was referring to a couple of weeks ago. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and read our master text, Genesis chapter 1. Stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. The first ten verses of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and 
the gathered waters, and he called and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Now it continues on with that same um, that same progression there in explaining God's process of creating. And every single time it said, and God said. So with that in mind, let's go over to Ephesians chapter one. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter five, verse one. And it says this, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And all God's people say, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We are to be imitators of God. So how does that relate to our account in Genesis where we talked about God creating through his words? You know, God could have snapped his fingers and created the whole universe, but that's not what he did. He spoke it into existence. He spoke it into existence. Now, um, once again, I, I want to go back over a little bit of the ground that I covered a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, first of all, let me remind you that uh, we looked at Genesis 17, verse 5, where this is the place where God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning the father of many nations, or exalted father. And see, God had made a promise to Abram and Sarai that they would have a son. But 24 years had passed, and we get to Genesis 17, 5, and God had then changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning exalted father, father of many nations, changed Sarai's name to Sarah, meaning princess. So every time someone spoke uh, Abraham's name, they were affirming father of many nations. He was hearing it proclaimed, and every time he spoke his own name, he was declaring and prophesying over himself, father of many nations. So there was purpose in why God changed Abraham's or Abram's name to um, Abraham. So as we see here then, God was helping to change their mindsets by doing that. He was helping them to change their mindsets because every time they heard that name, Abraham, it was changing that mindset, I'm the father of many nations. Because they'd been barren for so long, remember. And then likewise, God's name changes was also a way to help them to prophesy over themselves. So God never does things arbitrarily. Oh, I think I like the name Abraham better than Abram. So, no, he doesn't do things like that. <clears throat> God doesn't do things arbitrarily. There's always purpose in what God does. Amen? So this is why he did that to change their mindsets, and also to constantly cause them to prophesy over themselves. So there's something about proclaiming things with our mouths, especially if we do it often enough, that seems to change the course of our lives. Amen. See, as the, the, the book of James says, our tongues can set the whole course of our lives on fire if we're not careful. If we don't use our tongues properly, our tongues can set the whole course of our lives on fire. It goes on to say there in James that it's so difficult to train the tongue. See, you should probably go home sometime this week and reread James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And in a nutshell, James says that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship, turning our lives this way or that. I'm going to say that again. Our tongues, according to the book of James, are like the rudders of a ship, 
turning our lives this way or that. So do you think it's pretty important how you use your words? I think it's really important. Now, again, at this point, I want to continue going over some of the same ground that I went over uh, a couple of weeks ago in that teaching, and then I'm going to get to some other material. But we also looked at Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21, which is one of the primary uh, verses that we use when we uh, discuss this topic. So let's read it together. From the fruit of his mouth, from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With a harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, those who know how to use it will use it to their advantage. That's what it's talking about here when it says the fruit of his mouth, through a fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. And from the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. If you know how to use the tongue and the mouth properly, it will satisfy you. That's what it's talking about there. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, let me give you another one here that we looked at a couple weeks ago. James, uh, or, I'm sorry, Mark 11.23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. All right, so again, there's, there's importance in the saying. You need to have faith in your heart, yes, for sure, but there's importance in the saying. Okay, now, also a couple of weeks ago, and every time I, I teach on this, I always refer to Emil Cui, who is a, was a French pharmacist and psychologist um, who pioneered the concept of auto-suggestion, auto-suggestion, which was a, a method of healing uh, in the 1920s that he pioneered. See, in his practice, he noticed that remedies given with positive declarations of health worked better than just the remedies given by themselves with no positive declarations of health. And this was reproducible. And he noticed this so often that he pioneered this concept that he called auto-suggestion. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that this began to catch on. And so he came to the United States to lecture uh, about this concept. And he was mocked and laughed at and ridiculed. So he canceled his speaking tour here in the United States and went back to France. And uh, the concept of, has hardly ever been heard of again since that time 100 years ago in the United States. But there are some people that have still, uh, they, they caught on, and it's still prevalent in some circles. Well, Emil Cui was known to state that each person has the solution to their own problem innately that God has given to us within us. He said, you have in yourself the instrument of your cure. Now, it's no power of our own. It's something that God has put there. We have to align ourselves with, with what God has already done through Jesus. Okay? But uh, he said that we, we had this innate ability. Uh, we have the instrument of our cure within ourselves. It's all based upon faith and the words of your mouth. And then he coined this phrase, day by day in every way, I'm getting better and better. And that's kind of the phrase that caught on. Now, as an avid reader, I've discovered that making declarations is a, a common theme of wealth-oriented material um, of even the non-Christian world. 
So again, I've been an avid reader over the years, and some of these, this wealth-oriented material I've gotten my hands on, I've noticed there's a common denominator. And one of the common denominators is this concept of making declarations. And you see, these non-Christian authors in some cases, not all, but in some cases, these non-Christian authors have stumbled upon something that's, that is very biblical. They just don't know it's biblical. Or if they do know it's biblical, they don't acknowledge it. Now, some people I realize may say that, oh, Andy, well, that's New Age stuff, or that's name it and claim it, or whatever you want to say. Let me ask you this. If you're not getting the kind of results in your life that you want, why would you want to keep doing what doesn't work? As I told you many times, Einstein once said, one definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. Would you object then if I could show you how this is a very biblical concept? Would you object? All right, so let me push on then. One of the authors that uh, I got my hands on his book, T. Harv Ecker, who wrote the book Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, um, he said this, if you want to move to a new level in your life, you must break through your comfort zone and practice doing things that are not comfortable. And when I read uh, T. Harv Ecker's book, um, he's, he's kind of a character, and he, he said, when I first started learning about the whole concept of making declarations over yourself and that sort of thing, he said, I thought that was the hokiest thing I've ever heard of. But because I knew that other self-made millionaires and billionaires did that sort of thing, I started doing it too. And now I'm a millionaire, he said. That's not the only reason he's a millionaire, but that's one of the things that he began doing as a, a daily practice. So I, I like his quote here. If you want to move to a new level in your life, you must break through your comfort zone and practice things, practice doing things that are not comfortable. And I would add doing things that maybe you don't quite understand, or doing things that are unfamiliar to you. Doing things that are unfamiliar to you. Now, I love science, so I'm going to get into a little bit of the scientific end of this, so if you'll bear with me for just a few minutes. I want to go in and get into the scientific aspect of this, because I know that some people would say, uh, well, you know, that's just your interpretation of the Bible, and, or that's, that's a, you're letting new age creep into the church. No, listen. New Age has caught on to some biblical concepts. They've gotten a hold of it, and they're benefiting from it, while a lot of the church is saying, because New Age people do these things, we throw out the baby with the bathwater. They've stolen the concepts from us, and then the church, because we see them doing some of that, we're like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Well, listen, if it's in the Bible, we need to be practicing it. Just because some of these New Age people are borrowing some concepts from the Bible, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, folks. So <clears throat> science has been validating that words have creative energy. And I'm going to talk to you here in a moment about quantum theory and quantum physics, but I, I want to set this up, okay? So uh, how many people like me are science geeks? How many science geeks do I have in the room? People that like science. Okay, great. few of you. Great. You're in good company, okay? I'm in good company. So you science geeks know that everything is made of energy, right? So the seats that you're sitting on are made of energy, OK? 
Okay, the pins that you're writing with are made of energy. Right? Are you with me? Okay, everything is made up of energy that consists of atoms that vibrate at different frequencies. Now, try to hang with me. I won't spend very long on this. Just try to hang with this for a second. There's a reason why I'm going over this. Now, for the uninitiated that have never really heard much about that, um, consider how a microwave oven works. Now, you put food into the microwave, and then you turn it on, and then the microwave starts vibrating the atoms in the food faster so that the substance that you put in there heats up by the friction of those atoms vibrating faster and faster. That's how a microwave oven works. It's an absolutely ingenious invention. That's how it works. So the microwave is simply manipulating the atoms or the energy that's already in the object that you put into the microwave. Okay, are you following me so far? Okay. And everything else is made up of energy and atoms, and those atoms vibrate at certain frequencies depending on how dense the object is and what it's made of. So uh, this um, coffee cup right here, is made of energy, but it's made, the, the, the atoms in this coffee cup are vibrating at a different, uh, different frequency compared to this very solid podium. It's all energy, but they're vibrating at different frequencies. The atoms are vibrating at different frequencies depending on what the object is and how dense it is. Okay, you don't have to remember all of that. <clears throat> There'll be no test on that later. No pop quizzes or anything like that. But here's how this relates to our topic today. So let's get into a little bit of quantum physics for you. So quantum physics is a branch of a physics that seeks to explain the nature and behavior of matter and energy. What's matter? Anything that's solid is matter. This podium is made of matter. My Bible is made of matter. Um, these glasses are made of everything is made of matter. So the, the study of quantum physics is a branch of physics that seeks to explain the nature and behavior of matter and energy and the atoms that make up the matter, okay? So different words quantum physics has discovered, different words and thoughts carry different energies or vibrations, okay? I'm going to get into this. Now... This little booklet right here is a little pocket-sized booklet. I started learning about this whole concept of the power of our words. And I, like probably many of you, thought, ah, okay, yeah, I can see the passages in the Bible, but, man, I can't get my mind around that. And, I, and because of that, I was having a little bit of trouble hooking my faith to that. But I saw it in the Bible, uh, and, and, but I was just having a little bit of trouble with that. And God knows how I'm wired. God knows that... I've got to have, a lot of times, I've got, it helps me if I have a, a scientific validation or some sort of rationale. Not that we always have to have some sort of scientific validation to, to validate the Bible, because sometimes the Bible is way above where our science is right now. Science is catching up with the Bible, right? But when I read this book by Annette Capps, I discovered this book, I finally had something concrete that validated what I'd been learning about the power of words, and it really helped me. So I'm going to read some excerpts out of this book. She says, Scientists have performed experiments with atoms 
and their subatomic particles such as electrons. Again, I'm, I'm getting into a little bit of science here, so forgive me. I'm going to give you a little bit of diagram here. So this is the subatomic structure right there that you see. It's made up on the outer edges there of those electrons, and, the, and those electrons orbit around that nucleus in the middle. And those, that nucleus is made up of uh, neurons and protons. Okay, so that's what she's talking about. So let me go back to her quote. Scientists have performed experiments with atoms and their subatomic particles, such as electrons. You can't see these things except with really high-powered electron microscopes. Let's go on with her quote. And by the way, that structure right there is what, what provides the energy that everything's made of. So everything consists of atoms. Okay. She goes on, the interesting thing is that scientists have discovered that the electron that is shown orbiting the nucleus is not always there in particle form, like how you see it pictured right there. It exists in a wave state until someone looks at it. And when the scientist observes it, it suddenly appears as a dot or a particle like what you see pictured in, the in that diagram. She goes on, what we all want to know is, how does it know someone is looking at it? She goes on, it's obviously responding to the observer's interaction with it. Think about this. We're, I'm about to blow your mind. Every time I read this, it blows my mind. This is the absolute mind-blowing genius of God's design. This is what science is. It's just discovering the genius of God's design. Okay, so it's obviously responding to the observer's interaction with it. One of the difficulties in quantum physics is that particles, get this, that particles behave somewhat differently for each observer. Which leads me to the question, she says, does it behave according to the, what the scientist believes? Interesting question. In any event, we can definitely conclude that Jesus was right when he taught that all matter responds to faith and words. The substance from which our world is made is influenced and manifested by words. The things that you desire are made of atoms. They know what you believe, hear what you say, and behave accordingly. That's quantum physics, and that explains why the Bible teaches what it does about the power of faith and words. <laughs> Isn't that just... <laughs> Hallelujah. You would never understand that fully in four lifetimes. And the, the, the physics, the physicists that work on this stuff, they don't even fully comprehend it. But this is what, this is the process of, of discovery that they're on that According to quantum physics, our thoughts and our words affect matter. That's the bottom line. Our thoughts and our words affect matter. So then, I want to talk to you for, here for a moment about releasing the power of declaration. You know, in the book of Job, verse 20, uh, 
uh, chapter 22, verse 28 says, You will also decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. Now, I want to qualify something here. This verse here in Job 22:28 was spoken by one of Job's friends in the process of them kind of coming down on him because he was apparently in sin, because he was experiencing so many terrible things that were happening to him. And not everything that those men said to Job about Job were accurate. But many of the things, if you read the book of Job, there's these long diatribes that these friends are speaking to Job. And many of the things that they say are absolutely true statements and were just things that they knew was true about the world and the universe. They were just misapplying them to Job. And this is one of those statements. You will decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and light will shine upon your ways. And I want to give you an example of that. In 1 Samuel 17, this is the account of David and Goliath. Verse 46, David makes a declaration. He makes a proclamation. He prophesies. Look at what he says. He's speaking to Goliath here. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He was a young man of faith. Now notice that David didn't say, I hope this works. (laughs) Oh gosh, I hope this works. God... No, he had such confidence, he had such faith. There was no sign of doubt in his words. He spoke only the desired outcome. Let me say that again. He spoke only the desired outcome. He didn't speak to his brothers and say, give this note to daddy in case I don't come back today. He didn't even prepare for anything like that. Because he knew he was coming back. He knew he was coming back. And then I want to also give you another passage kind of along those lines. It says in Joel 3.10, Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. In fact, do something with me here for a moment. Uh, Let's say this together and give me a front double bicep as you do it. Let the weak say, I am strong. Woo! Hallelujah. Right on. Now, okay, look. Isn't that lying to to say what you don't feel or isn't true at the moment? Isn't that lying? No. Folks, listen. You're simply prophesying over yourself. You're prophesying over yourself. We need to understand, folks, that we are the prophets of our own lives. We're the prophets of our own lives. And, folks, I want to tell you something. This is one of the principles that I discovered early on in my walk with the Lord that it's helped to change my life. This is one of the principles. Yes, I drive down the road and I make declarations while I'm behind the wheel and sometimes I get animated and sometimes people might look at me and go, what is that dude doing? I'm prophesying over myself. I got one hand on the wheel, I got one hand that's in motion prophesying over myself. Hallelujah. You're the prophet of your own life. Start using your words in a positive sense. I referred to one of the 
the wealth books that I got my hands on earlier on uh, T. Harv Ecker's book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, but a much older book that I want to draw to your attention as well, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill also talks about this topic. Uh, he talks about mixing your words with emotions. So in this book, Think and Grow Rich, which was written back in the early part of the 1900s, uh, the author Napoleon Hill spent several years chronicling the practices of the super rich. And one of the principles that he addresses at length in that book is uh, making declarations over yourself. And he encouraged his readers to write out a statement of your desire on a three by five card or something that you'll see and you can carry around with you easily. So he encouraged his readers to do that, write out a statement of your desire and then read and recite that statement daily. In fact, multiple times a day. And I want you to, to see what he wrote in the book regarding the, the reciting of whatever it is that you write down. Here's what he says. And this relates to a biblical principle, by the way. That's why I want you to see this. He writes this. Remember, therefore, when reading aloud the statement of your desire, that the mere reading of the word is of no consequence unless you mix emotion or feeling with your words. Here's why. He goes on. If you repeat a million times the famous email qui formula, day by day in every way, I'm getting better and better, without mixing emotion and, here it is, faith with your words, you will experience no desirable results. Now, I don't know if Napoleon Hill was a Christian or not, but he did quote the, the Bible fairly often in that writing. But I think this is really interesting what he says. If you repeat a million times a day the famous email qui formula, day by day in every way I'm getting better and better, without mixing emotion and faith with your words, you will experience no desirable results. So in other words, you have to believe what you're saying and believe it so much that it excites you so that when you say it, there's a, a bit of enthusiasm when you say it. You don't just say, every day and in every way I'm getting better and better. I feel terrible, but in, okay, and every day, and every way, I'm getting... No, no, you've got to say, in every day, and in every way, I'm getting better and better. And it's even better if you find a Bible verse and quote that over yourself. And I'm going to share a couple of those with you here in a moment. Recite those things daily. Get excited when you do it. He goes on. Your subconscious mind... Now, folks... I know that that subconsciousness, New Agers use that term too. Come on, just because they do doesn't mean we don't have a subconscious. Don't let that throw you. Okay? They, they borrowed a lot of concepts from the Bible. Okay? Um, your, your subconscious mind is what your mind works, works. Listen, your subconscious mind is working when you're asleep. Did you know that, that if you read and, and think about and ruminate on, on a problem that you're having, that you're trying to get worked out before you go to bed, your mind is still working on that when you're, you're sleeping. That's your subconscious mind working that thing out. And sometimes, I did it this morning. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, my mind was working something out. And because my mind was working, it was working a little bit overtime, it wouldn't let me go back to sleep. So I got up about 4.30, my bladder wouldn't let me go to sleep either. So... <laughs> 
So some, one of you guys on face, Facebook, it may have been you, Bill Cowan, I don't remember. It was a funny meme on Facebook. It had this picture of a bladder, and, and all the other organs were bowing down to it. And, and, it, and the bladder was saying, I'll decide when we wake up. So, yeah, you've experienced that, I'm sure. So in other words, okay, well, let, let me read this. So your subconscious mind recognizes and acts only upon thoughts that have been well mixed with emotion or feeling. Plain, unemotional words do not influence the subconscious mind, or in other words, your spirit. Okay, your spirit. You will get no appreciable results, he writes, until you learn to reach your subconscious mind or your spirit with thoughts or spoken words that have been well emotionalized with belief. How do you emotionalize it when you, you read or recite your statement of desire? You believe it. You start to believe it. And actually, the more you speak it, the more you begin to believe it. That's why they say if you repeat a lie often enough, you begin to believe it yourself. The same is true of the Word of God. Even if you don't feel like you really believe that at first, speak it out your mouth. Once you speak it out your mouth, it's going to come back into your ears. It's going to affect your, your faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. So the more you repeat something, the more you start to believe it and the more emotionalized it becomes with belief. In other words, say it like you believe it. Amen. Okay, Say it excitedly. Praise God. Amen. All right, so... I want to give you some strategic faith maneuvers this morning. Three of them here. And, and the first one is this, renounce and replace. You can write that down, renounce and replace. The reason I say that is because sometimes you'll find yourself saying things that do not line up with your desire. Okay? If you find yourself doing that, like for example, if you believe in the Lord to help you with your finances, and you say something dumb like this, I can never get ahead at the end of the month. I just seem to struggle every single month. I can just never seem to make ends meet. Don't say that. Don't say that. Um, then renounce that statement. Just say, I, I, I strike that from the record in Jesus' name. And then replace it with a statement of your desire. No, all of my needs are met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So renounce and then replace. And the next one is this, write and recite. Write down your statement of desire. Write down the, the scripture that you're wanting to quote over yourself. Memorize it would even be better. And then recite it over yourself. Declare it over yourself. And then another one would be to personalize it. To personalize it for yourself. Make it first person. So, folks, I want to let you know, there's a spiritual battle raging all around us. I don't know if you notice that or not. If you, don't, if you haven't noticed that, you're not paying attention. There's a spiritual battle raging all around us. We had better learn to use a strategy that works. And see that where that personalized uh, thing is concerned. Um, you could take, like, Psalm 91 as an example, which is a wonderful chapter of protection, promises of protection all through that chapter, the famous Psalm 91. And there's a, there's a, 
passage or a verse in Psalm 91 that says, There shall no evil befall you, nor any plague or calamity come near your dwelling. Personalize that for yourself. Declare that over yourself. I do this. There shall no evil befall me, nor any plague or calamity come near my dwelling. If the whole world starts to get an upheaval about COVID or whatever else, monkey pox, stupid pox, whatever else, um, political pox, you know, whatever else, um, you could say, hey, there shall no evil come near my dwelling, nor any plague or calamity. Yeah, amen. There shall no evil befall me, nor any plague or calamity come near my dwelling. You need to speak that and believe it. But listen, I want to make a qualifying remark, though. Let me just insert a little bit of guidance here for you. Listen, um, don't misunderstand the power of words because words alone won't work unless you do. And here's what I mean by that. In other words, you can't claim healing for your body, or it's actually more difficult to believe for healing for your body and claim it if you're abusing your body all the time with um, you know, drugs and alcohol and cigarettes or even abusing your, your body with food. And people do that too. You can't it's claim prosperity. It's more difficult to claim prosperity if you're lazy and you spend money like a drunken sailor. Right? And you can't claim protection if you do stupid and foolish things that put you in harm's way against the will of God. Now, I do want to qualify that remark, too. Sometimes God will cause people, he'll lead people to go into dangerous places, to minister the gospel in dangerous places. But to just do foolish things that God didn't tell you to do, and then claim protection for yourself... Okay, so let me give you a, a little example in my, in my own life recently. So, so, so years ago, I mean 30 years ago, I used to own this motorcycle for just a short period of time. And I noticed that back then, you know, you think you're invincible. And, and I, I jumped on that motorcycle. Man, it was like no problem learning how to ride that motorcycle. A big Honda Magna. And, but I didn't have it very long, and, and it ended up having some mechanical problems, so I got rid of it, and, and I didn't get on a motorcycle since. It's been 30 years since I've been on, on a motorcycle. And so my dad, who's ridden a motorcycle for a long time, he, uh, he's not able to ride it anymore just because, you know, he's not physically able to do so anymore. He's 89 and still riding motorcycles around town. And so he said, hey, hey Andy, do you want this motorcycle? And I went... Hmm, motorcycles aren't really even on my radar anymore, but it's free. So I said, let me go home and ask Donna. So Donna didn't like the idea at first, but then I, but then I was thinking, you know, okay, what if I only rode on the, on the back roads and I always wore my helmet and I was just really careful. And so I said, okay, Dad, yeah, I'll take the motorcycle. And so I went out to the, the parking lot, uh, a, a big open parking lot, and practiced a little bit. I didn't seem to have much problem with it. Um, I, but I was a little bit way more nervous than I was when I started riding 30 years ago. So I went over to his house, and uh, we tweaked it a little bit and worked on it. And so I took it out on the road. Uh, and very first right turn, I laid it down. Very first right turn. 
And um, so then I rode it around for another 20 minutes, and I mean, I was, seemed to do okay with it. But then I got to thinking, because uh, I asked the Lord, I asked, you know, I asked the Lord about these things, because I don't want to do something dumb. Because I've heard so many horror stories about motorcycles. So many people in my own family have had horrible, horrible accidents on home motorcycles. Anyway, so I, I asked the Lord, Lord, should, should I own this? Is this something that, that would be okay for me to have? And so I didn't really get like a, you know, a riding in the sky on it or anything. But when I got out there and I laid it down and I thought, you know, tweaking the, tweaking the shoulder, tweaking the hip, you know, road burn on my arm, just from this little tiny little spill, it doesn't amount to anything. I'm like, man, if I laid that thing down worse than that, I'd be in big trouble. So I, I think, okay, Lord, for me, you know, I'm not Bill Compton, you know. <laughs> For me, I don't think that motorcycles for me, for this guy, are really what the Lord wants me to be doing right now. And so I said, Dad, I can't take the motorcycle. So I just had to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, just for me, um, not having been ridden motorcycles for 30 years. And, and, and actually, when I got back to my dad's house and I said, man, I laid that thing down, very first right turn. He said, oh, yeah, when, when you start getting you know, used to it, you're going to lay it down a few times as you, as you learn. And I went, um, no, I don't want to lay it down ever as I'm learning. So no, thank you. Keep the motorcycle, sell it. And so I, I guess I say that to say this. Um, you have to know your own personal limitations. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit and don't do things that are not ordained by him. Okay. And, um, you know, don't put yourself unnecessarily in harm's way and then claim protection for yourself. Right. Lord, I'm going to go against what you what I think you're telling me right now, because I really want to do this, but then I'm going to claim protection for myself. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I heard this story about a lady, I think I've told you this story before, heard a story about this lady who needed to go downtown in a big city to do something, I forget what the occasion was where she was needing to go downtown, but she felt a check in her spirit. For those of you that are unfamiliar with that terminology, that's just kind of a label that we've put on when the Holy Spirit kind of like, if you can picture a horse with reins and the, the rider pulling back on the reins, that's kind of what a check in the spirit is. You're, you're like, hmm, uh, I don't know about that. So she had a check in her spirit about going downtown, but she, she went anyway because she was a Psalm 91 woman and she's claiming protection over herself. And the Lord said, don't go down there. And she's like, well, I just have to go down there really quickly for this one little thing. I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. And she went down there and she got mugged at knife point. And it traumatized her. And she said, Lord, why did this happen to me? I'm a Psalm 91 person. I, I believe in Psalm 91. I claim the promises of Psalm 91 over myself. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, I tried to tell you not to go down there, and you did it anyway. I was trying to protect you. So, yeah, Psalm 91 is true, but you've got to listen to the voice of wisdom. You've got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you listen to his guidance, he will protect you. Okay? If I hadn't listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit regarding that motorcycle, who knows, I may have been spread out on the road someplace, uh, like a lot of people I know. Um, so, you know, for this guy, that wasn't the way to go. You've got to listen to the Lord. Okay. All right. 
Now, this book, um, you might want to pick this up by Patricia King, The Power of the Decree, Releasing the Authority of God's Word Through Declaration. Releasing the Authority of God's Word Through Declaration. I want to remind you that God has made us co-laborers with Him, folks. Co-laborers with Him. See, He's delegated authority in the earth to you and me. I want to say that again. God has delegated authority in the earth to you and me. Jesus literally said, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That's a picture of the demonic. Snakes and scorpions, serpents and scorpions is a picture of the demonic. Now let me ask you a question. Are there any demons in heaven? No. So where are we supposed to use that authority? Here on the earth, exactly right. And part of how we do that is the way that we use our words. So start declaring God's word over your health, over your finances, over your children. If you have concerns over your children, here's a, here's a good one right here. Isaiah 54, 13. My children are taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Amen. You didn't get excited enough over that one. My children are taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Declare that stuff over, your, over yourself. You know, Andrew Womack said, God's word is voice activated. And I like the way he puts that. God's word is voice activated. So, on a final note, I want you to know that persistence is a sign of faith. Persistence is a sign of faith. Um, I, I want to end by talking about this because, you know, persistence is something that God highly values. Persistence is something that God highly values. So I can't give you all of the scripture passages that pertain to that truth right there. But I want to look again at the Syrophoenician woman that I mentioned a few weeks ago. And I actually want to put our eyes on this passage this time. The Syrophoenician woman who had a demon-possessed daughter. So let's look at that passage here. And this is um, in uh, Matthew chapter 15. And it says this, but Jesus replied, and, and let me back up a second. This is when the woman had been chasing after him and calling after him, and he didn't answer her a word. Didn't even say a word to her. Didn't say a word. And then Jesus finally spoke. But Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He was referring to her. But look at her response. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Mm. Mm-mm. Jesus responds to that. Oh, woman, Jesus answered, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Hallelujah. Now, I, I want to teach you something about that. Here's the point that I want to get across to you. Jesus didn't say this about very many people, by the way. As a matter of fact, most of the time, Jesus was exasperated with people's lack of faith. All right? And in fact, I only remember one other time where Jesus said this about or to someone, and it was the, the centurion with the sick servant. Do you remember that? 
Okay. Now, on this occasion with the Syrophoenician woman, uh, Jesus said that this woman had great faith based upon the fact that she, number one, humbled herself and was not offended by what Jesus said. That's key right there. But number two, she would not give up even when it looked like that Jesus was turning her away. She still wouldn't give up. And folks, listen, God honors that kind of tenacity and perseverance. So listen, we had a healing service last week and some great things happened in that service. There was some, you know, some physical things that happened. There was a lot of emotional things that, that got corrected in that service. But if you were here and you didn't get what you were looking for Sunday, I want to make a promise to you. It's not over. It's not over. See, keep pressing in, keep declaring, keep seeking God. There will be a time when, bam, you see breakthrough if, if, if you keep believing and you keep expecting. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Stand to your feet. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe we should just do some declaring right now. What do you think? I don't have any, like, I don't have any that I prepared. But, uh, you know, you could say this. Something like this, if you have weakness in your body right now, an infirmity in your body, you can just say things like this, I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Say it with me. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Say it again. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Every cell and system of my body works with divine Divine perfection. Say that with me. Every cell and system of my body works with divine perfection. Hallelujah. Uh, you can say things like this if you're uh, running short on cash and you feel like, you know, you, Lord, just, I need, need your help. I need your help in, uh, in, in, in growing in my finances. I'm, I'm, I'm behind all the time. Well, rather than saying that God knows your problems, you don't have to recite your problems to God all the time. He already knows. He already knows what you need before you ask Him, the Bible says. So just start declaring His word over yourself. That my God, say it, my God has supplied all of my needs according to His riches and glory. Hallelujah. And let's recite Isaiah 54, 13 together. Just personalize it over yourself. My children, My children are, taught of the Lord, are taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Great will be their peace. And then God, give God glory and praise for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now look, our faith isn't perfect like Jesus' was. So he could speak to the fig tree and curse it, and prophesy that no one's ever going to eat fruit from that tree again. And then the next day they come back and see the tree withered from the roots. The next day. You won't always see results the very next day when you prophesy over yourself. Because we're growing in our faith. And that's why you just need to keep doing this. Be persistent. Uh, just keep going. If you don't see results the next day, keep going. You know, there's things I've prophesied over myself for years. And I didn't see like dramatic instant results, but you know what? I did see and have seen accumulative results over time. Folks, listen, I'd make declarations over my finances 
all the time. Now that's not the only thing I do. I tithe, I'm generous. We're gonna do a series real soon where I talk more about that. But, but when I sow seed out there, when Donna and I sow seed out there, we pray over it and we declare over it. I declare over my finances all the time. And guess what my finances have done over the last 30 years? Consistently. I, I speak health and strength over my body all the time. And I, 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 maybe this sounds braggadocious. I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's a testimony to the Lord. I'm one of the few 56-year-old people I know who can keep up, sort of, with my very athletic, almost 16-year-old son on the basketball court. And I don't attribute that to anything that, I attribute that to the Lord. Just speaking, you know, the, his blessings over my health, over my life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And listen, I've got... You know, there's certain things in my family line, certain physical things in my family line. Uh, my mother died of Alzheimer's. So I recognize that there's, and I've had multiple concussions. So I recognize that that's a potential weakness. You know what I say? I am of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Uh, my, this brain, my neurons function and fire exactly like they're supposed to. I have perfect memory. And, and, and word recall and ever-increasing intelligence. I speak that over myself all the time. Okay? And uh, I'm holding myself back right now because I'm going to give you some testimony later and in some of my the subsequent teachings when I start talking about finances. But, man, I'm telling you, um, I'm doing a job right now in my marketplace work that I'm not trained to do. There's no reason I should be doing, I should, no, no reason I should be teaching doctors biochemistry and physiology and, and I don't even have a college degree. And I get asked sometimes, Andy, where, where'd you go to college? The college of Jesus. The, Bi I went to Bible college, amen. Not really, but I've studied that anyway. I I'm, I'm, I'm going on and on because I get excited about this stuff because it's worked in my life. So let me just pray and bless you and dismiss you, and then uh, we'll get into some more of this with some subsequent teachings. Raise your hands if you want to receive this blessing I'm about to speak over you from Deuteronomy 28. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless these precious ones of yours. According to your covenant that you've made with us, and according to the blessings of, those covenant, of that covenant, I speak a blessing from those promises, from Deuteronomy 28, that these people that are, have their hands lifted up in receiving your promises of covenant, that they will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, blessed coming in and blessed going out, blessed in their rising up and blessed in their lying down, blessed in their professions, Bless in the work of their hands, that their hands would work of their hands would prosper, and that you would give them abounding prosperity, that they would abound in prosperity and abound in their health. And they would be like well-watered gardens, Lord, and pillars carved to beautify a palace. That as they sit around the table, Lord, with their families and their children, that uh, they would be just fruitful and prosperous. 
I pray, Lord God, that you would lift up your countenance upon each one of these, that you would make your glorious face to shine upon them and give them peace and favor everywhere they go and with everyone they meet. And you would use them and us, Lord, as channels and conduits of your wonderful blessing to other people that we come into contact with so that other people may see the goodness of God on us in the land of the living. And they would say, I want some of what you've got. So Lord, let us be ready to have an answer for everyone who asks us for the reason, for the hope that we have. And for these things, we thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.